Hello and welcome to Hey Remember the 80s. I'm Joe. And I'm Carrie. You'll remember we're not professional podcasters or music critics. We're just praying for the thunder and rain to quietly pass us by and talking about 80s music. So give us a break. Yeah. Carrie, hello. Thank you. Hello to you, Joe. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you for saying hello. <laughs> no one ever thanks me for that. That's so sweet. Oh man, it's late. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, we're doing a HRT80s after dark. <laughs> yes. We usually record in the morning, but this one is in the nighttime. My belly is full. Had enchiladas and watched Euphoria. <sighs> it's usually enough for me to call it a night, but we got 80s music to talk about. And welcome. Carrie, welcome to you. Thank you. Welcome to new listeners. And Joe, why don't you welcome some of our loyal listeners? Oh, I thought, well, she wants to do it this time. That's fine. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really do off, it. People. Do it. You never welcome them. I want to hear it. Okay. Hello to our loyal listeners in Lucas, Iowa, Converse, Texas, and Surfers Paradise, Australia. Who boy, take me to Surfer's Paradise, Australia. I need to get there right now. Yeah, and I need easier cities to pronounce. You really, <laughs> Dave threw you a softball this week. That's not fair. <laughs> well, anyone in those cities and others can check out our Facebook at facebook.com slash HRT80S. And we also have a Twitter at HRT80S. Yes, Joe, we have a full slate of tidbits. Mm -hmm. The tidbits just kept coming and coming, and there was actually another one that was in there that I took (laughs) out. Yeah, so we could get these three in. Should we do the first one, which is like kind of like hearsay and rumors? I don't think it's hearsay and rumors. I'm looking at a news article about it right now from the Star Tribune. You did the research. I sent you a screenshot (laughs) from Facebook. And did no other research. So that's why yeah. I said rumors. So, okay. So it sounds like it's an issue and let's discuss it. Yeah. So why don't you tell everyone what the Facebook post was and then I will give what backstory I Oof, can. Right. Well, in a nutshell, Morris Day and the time posted on Facebook. Uh, it's from the notes app. You know, what's usually when people mm-hmm. apologize, but he's putting the tea out there. He said he spent 40 years of his life building up a name and legacy that Prince and he came up with. The nutshell is he said that the people that are involved with Prince's estate have told him he can no longer use the name Morris Day and the time. Wild. Totally wild. So this news article doesn't really shed any light on it. I was going to say, tell me why they don't want it. Well, it's very confusing because apparently Prince's estate is administered by a trust. But that trust only represents certain of the prince siblings, an attorney for three siblings who are guests not involved with the trust say that this is news to them, a lawyer that represents someone else, some of the other siblings tweeted that he supports Morris Day with the hashtag let Morris Day use name. (laughs) What a weird hashtag. Um, anyways, I'm sorry to laugh about this because I do think it's BS, like Morris Day in the time. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He should have the right. That, who are they to say he can't use this name? Like, this just seems out of the blue, right? I guess what I do understand is that Prince has always owned the rights to the name, the time, the band, the time. 
So what are they going to do with it? Nothing. I don't know. If you're like me and you want to show support to Morris Day in the Time, then call and let your voice be heard. And the phone number is 777-9311. Yes. Or tweet with the hashtag, let Morris Day use name. (laughs) I can't get over that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Next up. In similar, in a similar vein, very strange that this uh, came to our attention, like, uh, basically immediately after you sent me that link about Morris Day and the time, friend of the podcast, Matt Baylor, sent us a Facebook link to a YouTube video that came out today, I guess. It's a song called Bring Back the Time by New Kids on the Block, featuring Rick Astley, Salt and Peppa, and En Vogue. And I didn't tell you this, Carrie, but my sister sent me the link about 30 minutes before <laughs> you saw it. And she said, this looks fun. And I said, well, we it is too late. We're recording tonight. I'll tell her about this in a couple days. <laughs> you were trying to hold it back from me. Bring back the time. in the door. We said it before. Back in the days we was young, we had a ball. Bikini, small, heels, tall. Hanging all day at the beach in the mall. Like Rick. So, folks, this is a music video that parodies a bunch of other videos. It's amazing. I watched it, and then I tried my best to write down every reference they threw in there. I think I got all of them. I think yeah, I got them some all. Some of them I was confused about. Yeah, you know what? Here, let's do this. It's not a It's not a spoiler if we don't know what they were doing. What was Salt and Peppa's reference? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that one at all. Theirs was the only scene where I was like, I can't picture an 80s video that this is mimicking. Now Vogue is coming to mind just because of black and white, but that's, but that's from the 1990. 90s, yeah. That, yeah, that's the thing. That's what I thought of, too. And I'm like, mm. but that can't be it, you know? Yeah. And I didn't really get the Duran Duran one. I'm like, is this... Rio? Like, yeah. Well, I was like, is this like a complete send up? Like, not only are they Duran Duran, but they're in a boat on a green screen. You know, that's what I didn't understand. They couldn't go and film on location like Duran Duran did. So they just were like, well, this is obviously a green screen. That's what I got out of it. What about the song, Joe? What did you think of the song? I really liked it. I I, I liked the song and the video a lot more than I thought. I know. You know, I did see the link floating around and I thought to myself, I'm just going to get burned. It's just going to be like another 80s act where like the premise is good, but it's going to fall flat. But Mm -hmm. to me, the video and the song worth watching, worth downloading, worth listening to. Yeah, I will tell you what I thought of immediately. Do you remember when they put out that song with Backstreet Boys? Like, I don't know when it was, but they got together with Backstreet Boys and put out this song, and it was just trying too hard and trying to capture the Backstreet Boys sound. And I'm like, that's not your sound, New Kids on the Block, you're 80s. And so then this song, yes, 100% was like a throwback to that, and I loved it. Yeah. Woo, there you go. And one last tidbit, Joe. This is a good one. Did you listen to this song? Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of our favorite songs, I don't know if it's ever shown up in one of your top 40 lists, Carrie. 
It has not, but it's always been on the short list to make it there. Remember our very first top 40? Yes. That we did? <laughs> yes. I told myself I'm going to limit it to songs that were from the Casey oh, yeah. Kasem mm-hmm. AT40 era, which meant up until mid-88, August 88. Mm-hmm. So I left it off. And that song is Buffalo Stance by Nana Cherry. It's one of my faves. I had the 45 record and I took it to my friends, George and Sheila, who have a jukebox for 45s. And they put it in there for whenever I'm like, I want to hear my favorite song. Oh, wow. Amazing. Well, and we just talked about her last week. Oh, my gosh. You're right. Kismet. Yeah. I know. (laughs) So there's a cover of Buffalo Stands by Carrie, one of our favorite contemporary artists. Exactly. Robin. Robin. Yes. We love Robin. We've seen her a couple of times, right? Yes, we have. She's amazing. And she hasn't put out new music for a long time. Her album came out now like two or three years ago. That was 2018, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So Nana Cherry had tweeted that the song was coming out, a cover by Robin, and that it's part of a project that she'll be able to talk about soon. Mm. But as of now, I just checked her Twitter feed and we don't know what it is. It could be an anniversary yeah. Edition of Raw Like Sushi. I just, I we don't know. Okay. But I was surprised to find out that Nana Cherry tweeted all this stuff about Robin. She said, I've known Robin for three decades. She's my sister, my friend, my family, and my creative inspiration. Well, they're both from Sweden, right? Right. Yeah. yeah but I just, she must have known her even back in the 90s and the pop days. So did you listen and what do you think? I listened and I love it. It's amazing. Yeah, I think it captures the vibe of the original while still kind of updating it. And Robin is a very nice addition. She's not overshadowing Nana. They're complimenting each other. You did not like it, it sounds like. I did like it, but I was worried about reaction because of how you feel about covers. Oh, yeah, that's You don't true. like it when it sounds too similar and you don't like it when they go too far out of the lane. Well, then I guess this is the perfect marriage of them both, right? It's like, (laughs) it's still like got the vibe of the original, but it's not just a retread. It's like doing something new and worth listening to. I was worried it was going to be super mellow based on the first minute. And then it picked up and I was happy. And then I was also a little disappointed, slightly disappointed when they didn't do the part with What's he like anyway? Oh, yeah. (laughs) But I get it. And Robin sounded great. Yeah, they sound wonderful. This was a good day, a good day for music. I would check it out if I were you. And Carrie, we got to move it along because, dang, that was the longest tidbits segment (laughs) in a while. I know. Let's get right into our main topic then. And we're covering more long guitar solos. Yeah. Yeah, 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 boy. <laughs> I don't oh, know where cool. that came from. <laughs> HRT 80s After Dark. <laughs> yeah. First up, Carrie, in our segment of long guitar solos, The Sensitive Kind by Santana. This one has a solo clocking in at 65 seconds. Santana, the group, was formed by Carlos Santana in 1966 in San Francisco. The band was managed by legendary concert promoter Phil Graham. Did we talk about him during Live Aid? Uh, 
Yes, I think so. Yes. Glad one of us has a memory. (laughs) So he agreed to help organize Woodstock on the condition that Santana be included on the bill. The band had an ever-changing lineup. Carrie, I don't know if you went to the Wikipedia entry for them, but did you count how many band members they had listed? I certainly didn't count them. (laughs) I read through them to find some notable names. Just take a wild guess, and I'll tell you, hot or cold? I think it was like close to 50. Higher? 75. Lower? (laughs) 60. Higher? 69. (laughs) Lower? 66. 62 members. Mm. Which is still insane. Yeah. Where were we? Oh, the band had an (laughs) ever-changing lineup, except for Carlos, and at times it would include Neil Schoen, who would later join Journey. Carrie, I think you and I don't know for sure, but we both agreed we would pronounce it Schoen, right? Sure. (laughs) Other members were Pete Escovito, who is Sheila E.'s dad and a drummer legend, and Buddy Miles, who had played with Hendrix and would become the voice of the California Raisins. All of the Raisins? Well, I think just one of them, the lead singer of the Raisins. Still a good get. Yeah. From 1969 to 1979, Santana placed 14 songs on the Hot 100 and had evolved from a mostly Latin sound to jazz fusion to more straightforward rock. The Sensitive Kind was the fourth and final single from the 1981 album Z-Bop. It was written by singer-songwriter J.J. Kale who had also written Clapton classics After Midnight and Cocaine. Eric Clapton is famously one of Carrie's favorite musicians. Oh, God. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) We assume that's Carlos himself performing the guitar solo, but there was another guitarist in the band at this time named Chris Solberg. Oh, and the sensitive kind peaked at number 56 on the Hot 100. Uh, the sensitive kind. Joe... It sounds like evil ways. Yeah. It sounds like after midnight and cocaine to me. Like <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, this sounds like Clapton. That's for sure. It's not breaking any new ground for me. Yeah, I agree. But I still was like, good for you, Santana. You've been doing it for yeah. ever. Like, just get it. Continue to get it. I'm not mad at you, but I probably <laughs> will not listen to this song again. And if I could change one thing about his Wikipedia, I really don't think it's fair that for associated acts, they put Michelle Branch. Oh, God. (laughs) She just sang that one song, you know? Well, that's an association, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) But look how long he'd been doing it, right? Yeah. She comes into the studio for three hours. (laughs) I don't even remember what that song was called. I'm not going to say it. It'll be stuck in your head. The Game of Love. The Game of Love, yeah. A little bit of this. (laughs) You know, I'll say this. Long guitar solos always make me feel, and like Santana in particular, always like kind of remind me of dad rock, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I do appreciate him now, you know, as a musician. And I agree with everything you said in terms of like, give him his props. And there are songs from this album that I like. Mm -hmm. I've talked about some because I remember Z-Bop and being like, what the (laughs) f*** is (laughs) Z-Bop? Z-Bop. 
But this one's not my fave. But mm-hmm. he has good songs. Winning, great. Yeah. Yeah, I like Hold that Hold On, mm-hmm. and others. Yeah. Well, next up is Sweet Child O' Mine by Guns N' Roses. And a head tip to Tom Brehan and his stereo gum tip. column. Head tip. <laughs> hat tip. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Sorry. Another feather in your head. <laughs> I think I was either trying to say hat tip or head nod, but that doesn't even make sense, <laughs> head nod. Anyways, hat tip to Tom Brehan and his stereo gum column, the number ones for info on this song. And it's got a guitar solo of 64 seconds. Ugh, so close. Mm-hmm. We talked some about Guns N' Roses back in episode 129. Their debut album was released in July of 1987, but took over a year to really hit. Sweet Child of Mine was the third single released in June of 1988, and it hit the top of the Hot 100 for two weeks in September. The lyrics are from a poem that Axl Rose had written for his girlfriend, Erin Everly, the daughter of Don Everly. Slash came up with the iconic guitar riff during a jam session, and Axl thought it fit perfectly with that poem, so they put them together. In fact, November Rain was already in the band's repertoire at this time, but they left it off the debut album because they felt Sweet Child of Mine was stronger and they only wanted one ballad. <laughs> this is a ballad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> of course, that's Slash performing the guitar solo, and this is what Brehan has to say about it. Slash uses his wah-wah pedal to make his guitar sound like Axl Rose's voice, an injured cat howl that's equal parts ferocious and mournful. After Sweet Child of Mine, the band re-released Welcome to the Jungle and then Paradise City. The rest is history. Appetite for Destruction remains the highest-selling debut record ever. So I find that crazy. shocking for some reason. Yeah. That's so crazy. Are we sure Olivia Rodrigo hasn't beaten that yet? I wonder what the numbers are, actually. I mean, I don't think she's gotten that close, especially since records don't sell anymore. Like, actual Well, they records. include streams. You know what I mean? Mm, it's yeah. all... Huh. I'm so intrigued by these records that take a year to take off. Like, can you think of others? Like, Paula Abdul, mm-hmm. Def Leppard, I think, um, Hysteria, yeah. right? Yeah. There's got to be more. I love it. I love a good comeback story. Okay. I Yeah, I remember Sweet Child of Mine... I think I remember it being the first song from Guns N' Roses that I really knew, but this whole thing with this album that it never makes sense to me in terms of when what, what came song out came when out. and who, right. Say yeah. I feel the same way about Paula Abdul because she had those singles that didn't hit. Yeah, but I really like this song actually, and I think it holds up. I think it's sweet. You don't think it's a ballad? I mean, it's not like flowery and light, but it's a love song. You know what's a ballad is what did you play last night on Charlie's? The Carpenters Touch Me When I'm Dancing. <laughs> yes. So you got to put these two songs <laughs> You're right, in guess. the same bracket. This is a ballad for Guns N' Roses. <laughs> well, I didn't know there were conditions. Oh, well. Yeah, it's a classic. Who could say it's not a classic? Yeah. You know, at this time, what did I like? Debbie Gibson, but I was still like, okay, I mm-hmm. see you. I recognize you. <laughs> 
Next up, Carrie, we have Fool in the Rain by Led Zeppelin. This guitar solo by Jimmy Page is a whopping 63 seconds. I don't know what else we can say about Led Zeppelin since they are one of the biggest bands of all time. Fool in the Rain was from their eighth and final studio album, In Through the Outdoor. Unlike previous albums, this one was more influenced by bassist and keyboardist John Paul Jones and vocalist Robert Plant. Although Page is the credited producer, he was struggling with a heroin addiction and often failed to show up for recording sessions. Instead, he and drummer Keith Moon, who was battling alcoholism, would add their parts late at night. (laughs) I was just thinking how we're recording this late at night. (laughs) Is there something you need to tell me, Carrie? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) After production delays, the album was released in August of 1979, and Fool in the Rain was released in December as the only single. It peaked at number 21 on the Hot 100 on February 16, 1980. The song was partly inspired by samba beats that Jones and Plant had heard during the Soccer World Cup tournament held in Argentina in 1978. During rehearsals for a tour in September of 80, John Bonham passed away and the band decided to break up shortly after. Led Zeppelin is definitely one of those bands that I always hated just because everyone always talked about them. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. But dads loved them. Yes. And I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I was always like, not for me. I have heard Fool in the Rain so many times over the years and loved it as a song and honestly never knew it was Led Zeppelin until, I don't know, probably five years ago. And then I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I like this song a lot, but I think only because it doesn't sound like Led Zeppelin. (laughs) I think the story has come up on the podcast before where I was in the pool and I listened to a countdown from like, it must have been January or February 80, obviously. And this song came on and I'm like, this is Led Zeppelin? (laughs) You've got to be kidding me. I loved this. Mm -hmm. It's fun. And it's the only Led Zeppelin song I like. I do like other Led Zeppelin songs now, and I can appreciate them. Do they do that one that's like, I think I know what you're going for, and yes, yes, I think Yeah, that's definitely them. I don't care for that one at all. Okay. Up next is a band with a Led Zeppelin connection. Mm. It's Burning Heart by Vandenberg with a guitar solo that clocks in at 61 seconds. These are some crazy long guitar solos, folks. Yeah, no. If there's 60 seconds without words, I'm like, (laughs) next. The band took its name from the last name of guitarist Adrian Vandenberg. They formed in the Netherlands and then moved to L.A. when they were signed to Atlantic Records but recorded their debut album at Soul Studios in Berkshire, England, which was owned by Jimmy Page. Nice. I'm sure it was just a front for his heroin, <laughs> right? I don't know. Maybe he kicked heroin by now. 
Burning Heart was their debut single and eked into the top 40, peaking at 39 in early did go all the way to number five on the rock chart and that is Vandenberg playing the guitar. The group had one more single hit the rock chart but the next two albums would flop. Adrian Vandenberg played on a White Snake album in 1987. It was intended as a guesting gig but when David Coverdale asked him to join permanently he gave up the ghost on his own group. Burning Heart by Vandenberg is like one of those songs that it's like you hear it and you're like, oh, yeah, this one. (laughs) But but it's so nothing. It's like such a nothing burger. I don't know what to say about it. Is that a joke about their name? A nothing Vandenberger? No, absolutely not. You could have if you wanted. (laughs) I liked it. It's really not my style, but I liked his voice. Is that crazy to say? No, I don't mind his voice. Yeah. It really sounded like 70s rock FM, like journey-ish kind of stuff to me. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's not doing anything for me. Oh, you don't like journey? <laughs> I don't like 70s rock journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Loved it. All right. Well, Joe's a fan. I was trying to think of a fan name for that group. I'm... <laughs> Eating a big, juicy Vandenberger. (laughs) (laughs) Up next, we have something slightly different. It's a song called Taxi by Jay Blackfoot. This one has a solo that's 57 seconds long. Jay Blackfoot was born John Colbert. He got the nickname Blackfoot as a child because he would often walk barefoot on tarred sidewalks. What, he got a death wish? (laughs) I know, for real. He was a member of R&B group The Soul Children, which was put together by Isaac Hayes in the late 60s. That group had 15 hits on the R&B chart, but they disbanded in 1979, and Blackfoot recorded several solo albums in the 80s. Taxi was from his 1983 album City Slicker, and here's a clip. I deceived her A gentleman named Ray Griffin is on guitar. He's got a lot of credits over the years on albums by Al Green, the Isley Brothers, and Patrice Russian. Taxi peaked at number 90 on the Hot 100 in 1983, but it went all the way to number 4 on the R&B chart. Blackfoot had seven more singles on that chart in the 80s. Good for you, Blackfoot. Mm-hmm. Jay Blackfoot. Yeah. What did you think about Taxi? I had to go back and look. I was like, is this an answer song to that Harry Chapin <laughs> song, Taxi, from 1972? I sure hope not. They're not related yeah. at all, these two songs. But I will tell you, I prefer this song to Harry Chapin's Taxi. Yeah, well, there's probably not a song that you could make me choose. 
that I would say I wanted Carrie Chapin's taxi. What do you like better? <sighs> Roby's One Night in Bangkok or Harry Chapin's Taxi? I like Roby's One Night oh in Bangkok. Oh my God. Okay, hang on. Hang on, hang on. Give me one more sec. <laughs> Let me think about this. Okay, okay, okay. Ricky Lee Jones, Chucky's in Love oh, or God. Harry Chapin's Taxi? I'd still pick Chucky's in Love. I can't yes. stand Taxi. It's awful. Yes. Hang but on, hang this on, hang taxi, on. Okay, okay. no, we gotta yeah. keep moving, sir. This taxi by Jay Blackfoot, I liked it. I wanted yeah. more of a story. Oh, I thought it told a better story well, than the other taxi. What happens at the end? Maybe I wasn't paying attention. Like, he never gets to the woman, I right? think it's just whatever you want to happen. Mm, okay, I wanted to know. I wanted to yeah. know what happened when he when he got to the lady's house. I think she took him back, and she okay. was like, all is forgiven. I love you, Jay Blackfoot. <laughs> all right, I will subscribe to that ending. <laughs> Final long guitar solo we're going to cover this week is Electric Land by Bad Company. This solo is 52 seconds. And guess what? Bad Company has a Led Zepp connection as well. The groups shared a manager. Bad Company was one of the first super groups composed of former members of 70s icons Free, Matha Hoople, and King Crimson. Well, I would wager that they're the first super group whose (laughs) the groups they came from is more famous than (laughs) what they formed. You don't think Bad Company is famous? I honestly, this is the first song I've ever heard by them. Oh my God, come on. Yeah. They released five albums from 1974 to 1979, which produced nine Hot 100 singles. After a three-year hiatus, they released Rough Diamonds in 1982. Electric Land would be the only single. at 74 on the Hot 100, but made it all the way to number two on the rock chart. Not sure whether that's Paul Rogers or Mick Ralphs performing the guitar solo. After this album, the group broke up. Three years later, when Ralphs and drummer Simon Kirk wanted to team up again, the record label insisted they use the bad company name, but Paul Rogers did not return as he was playing with another supergroup, The Firm. Oh, the firm. Radio, radio, (laughs) radio. Yes. Now, Joe, I just listened to Bad Company's self-titled first album because it was served to me on that 1001. 1,000 albums you have to listen to (laughs) before you die of boredom from listening to Bad Company. God, you don't even know. You just said you don't even know. You should go listen I've spent this whole hour so far, whatever, trashing 70s rock, but I did enjoy that album. I thought it was fine. It's probably predating some of the stuff that you are considering (sighs) 70s rock. Okay, well, here's what I would say. After hearing the song, and I'm like, finally, I'll find out who they are. I still am waiting. Like, they could be ZZ Top, they could be 38 Special, it's just kind of like Southern Rock, Mm -hmm. what's happening, but I will say thank you for existing, Bad Company, (laughs) 
Because Carrie, you know, I play this game when I try to go to sleep where you alphabetically name bands. So when I get to B, I'm always like, bad company. (laughs) And I don't even know what they sing. Yeah, this song is not it for me either. But I do think they did 70s rock well. And as I've just said again, like, that's not really for me, period. So I guess I appreciate this part of it. I'll give other songs a chance. I'll tell you that, okay? Okay. I mean, I can't even think of one to tell you, though, except for the song called Bad Company. (laughs) So go listen to Bad Company by Bad Company. (laughs) I probably won't remember that name. I'll remind you later. (laughs) (laughs) When I'm in bed, I'll remember it. Well, we've got one more segment for today, and it is one of our faves. Oh, you have to sing. (laughs) This is why I did me, 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 me at the beginning to warm up, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So our segment is called Who's Holding Phil Now? And I keep wondering, who's holding Phil Collins now? And I keep wondering, whose songs he's drumming on now? (laughs) I heard he likes to produce. He'll probably do it for you. Oh, my God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm tickled by that every time you do it. (laughs) I can't believe you remember the words. Well, this segment covers the busiest man in music in the 80s, Phil Collins. And this time we are in 1988 and we're covering Phil's movie debut. He'd actually gotten his start in the entertainment industry as an actor. He was an extra in A Hard Day's Night in 1964 and appeared as the Artful Dodger in a West End production of Oliver. He gave up acting for music, but had appeared in an episode of Miami Vice as Phil the Shill in 1985. We need to watch that episode and report on it for a future Mm -hmm. segment. When approached about starring in Buster, Phil was adamant that he did not want to sing for the movie. He just wanted to act. The producers, though, wanted a song written for the movie to help sell it, and the movie takes place primarily in the 60s. So Phil suggested that Lamont Dozier, legendary Motown songwriter and performer who had written many classics from the 60s, be enlisted. And Phil had actually just asked Dozier to write a couple songs for an Eric Clapton album he produced. Oh my god, even when he books something, he's booking something else. Yeah. Maybe we'll cover that Eric Clapton album in a future segment, but also Eric Clapton sucks, so probably not. (laughs) We'll cover that when he recognizes COVID as a threat, okay? Yes. Dozier flew to Acapulco, where they were filming, and brought two instrumental tracks. Phil went off that night and wrote the lyrics to Two Hearts and Loco in Acapulco. When he sang them for Dozier... Dozier said, you're going to have to sing them now. They're your songs. Rude. (laughs) I know. Phil did refuse to sing Loco in Acapulco, and he got the four tops to record it. So it's like, hey, I won't sing this, but I brought the four tops. Okay. (laughs) Like, sure. Um, And he co-produced with Dozier, and he played drums on the track. Of course. Mm -hmm. Here's a clip. This one reached number seven in the UK, but in the US, the song didn't chart because it was only released as a B-side to a single off of the Four Tops' next album. 
Did you like this one, Carrie? I actually didn't mind it. <laughs> didn't mind it. I loved it. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Although I will say it got a little repetitive at the end. There was a good minute and a half where it was like the same chorus, right? Yes. But I mean, you've got the four tops, you've got the 60s sound. Yeah, I wasn't mad really at all, except for that repetitive part. But other than that, I loved it. And how did they not play this in the Apple TV Plus show that you and I watched, Acapulco? Oh, yeah, you're right. This should have been the theme song. Who do I write? It should have. Oh, yeah, that show was cute. We never talked about that in tidbits. I know, but it was like feather light. Like, I don't remember anything about it, right? No, I don't either. But it's set in the 80s. (laughs) And it was so cute. Yeah. Super cute. Lots of covers of 80s music. Anyways, getting back to Phil... He did agree to sing Two Hearts for the movie, and of course you all know that one, but here's a clip. It topped the Hot 100, the adult contemporary chart, and went to number six in the UK. It was nominated for an Oscar, but lost to Carly Simon's Let the River Run. Phil also suggested to the producers that a cover of an actual 60s love song be included in the film and suggested A Groovy Kind of Love by the Mindbenders. That one had reached number two in the UK and the US in 1965. The producers said, cool. Make us a demo. And he said, okay, but I will not end up singing this song for the movie. (laughs) Guess what? The producers just ended up using Phil's demo vocals and had an orchestra re-record the backing track. That's the version in the movie, and that was released as a single, which also went to number one in the U.S. and the U.K. These producers did him dirty. Jeez. Right? Gosh. And I like Two Hearts, too. I mean, it's very middle of the road, but I said before, I'm in the bag for 60s-influenced music. But it comes on, and I'm like, well, this sound, no wonder he did this. It sounds like his cover of You Can't Hurry Love by The Supremes, right? Exactly. And has anyone made this joke when it came on? I was like, Motown Phil is back again. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah, I do find it sad, though, that, like, he was trying to do something different and, like, they just wouldn't let him. Sis, listen. (laughs) I know. He could have had someone else sing on the demo. That's true. That's absolutely true. He knows. You're right. He knows how the game is played. He might have said, I'm not singing a song for the movie, Mm -hmm. but if you want to take these and do something, I can't sue you, because obviously he would have if he wanted to, right? (laughs) Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, you know, Phil, he can never say no to anything. He's such a pushover Mm -hmm. is what we're learning. Yeah, for sure. That's it. That's a wrap on Phil and guitar solos. And next week coming up, we have got a deep dive on... Two acts, Devo and Joe is going full tilt. You don't know. You don't know who picked two. I could have picked Devo. (laughs) 
Sure. Let me. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, so the other act is Ricky Lee Jones. Everyone try and figure out which one of us picked that. <laughs> you nut. <laughs> oh, anything else you want to share here at the end, Joseph? I mean, what can you say? Like, this is what the 80s and what old music is about. You find something you like, mm-hmm. and then you do a deep dive, and you just alienate your friends and family and your <laughs> loved ones. And <laughs> that's just life, right, for everyone? Or is it just me? Yeah, no, I think that's how it goes. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I will take us out this week, mm-hmm. then. I will ask everyone to please be kind to others, be kind to the world. Most importantly, be kind to yourself and continue to be safe. Thanks for listening. Yep. Bye. Bye.